Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Birds flying high You know how I feel Sun in the sky You know how I feel Breeze drifting on by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Good morning to you and welcome to Boxing Day 2023 with Stephen McIver. And I trust that's how you feel this morning, the day after Christmas Day, just feeling good. Where has the year gone? I know we've still got 2023 left, but we're still going along and it's a busy old morning from now until 11 here on SENZ around New Zealand and on the SEN app in Australia. Stephen McIver, Finn James, making sure that I point this ship in the right direction for the next three hours. We've got a, a busy old time. I've always wondered why they call it Boxing Day and I discovered that there are there are potentially two arguments, two explanations as to why it's called Boxing Day, and then you can have the argument. One dates back to early Roman and Christian times when arms boxes were placed in churches and used to collect special offerings tied to the Feast of St. Stephen. Yeah, I know. That's right. You may call me St. Stephen later. Uh, That was in Western Christian churches, and it actually falls on the same day as Boxing Day. It was called the second day of Christmas tide, but I think I remember this one being told by my, my mum. It dates back to Victorian times when Queen Victoria was on the throne. The, the wealthy would box up items they no longer needed to give the poor. It was a day where servants would be given time off and thanked for their hard work with a special box of treats. There you go. Little old history lesson to start the day off. That's why they call it Boxing Day, and you can decide which one you like. Coming shortly, we'll hear from Adam Collins, the SEN cricket commentator, ahead of today's Boxing Day test, the second test between Australia and Pakistan at the MCG. But first of all, one of the most important things we do every year, and the most dangerous things we do, is travel on the roads. And road safety over this holiday period is always, always a talking point. And we want you to be safe from all the team here at SCNZ. So who better to talk to than road safety advocate and my good mate from Sky Speed, Greg Murphy. Morning, Murph. G'day, Stephen. Good morning. Uh, happy Christmas. Early one, but happy Christmas. 
Thank you. Thank you. Okay. The one thing you have been hot about every time we talk about this is the Muppets on the road and what people should be doing, particularly now when the time is busy. So is there one golden rule for you? Um, uh, the more I uh, spend time on the roads around here, I think my rules keep keep evolving. Mm. Um, I've uh, been lucky enough I'm down in uh, down in Central Otago at the moment, um, down in Cromwell, and um, the last uh, yesterday driving on the roads around here, it it it, it is just highlighted again about um, how people are so unaware of other people on the roads mm. as well. Um, you know that and and really. The, the low level of skills that uh, and awareness that people have is, is really the, one of the biggest issues. So a lot of ignorance, um, a lot of you know lack of respect for other road users, um, but combine that with yeah just really a lot of people that should not be uh, able to drive and shouldn't have a license. And I would say a lot of them don't have licenses and never had any kind of uh, um, you know, uh, testing in any way, shape, or form based on you know some of the performances that are out there. So, it's, you know, it's going to be challenging again over the summer season, and and it really just comes down to everybody uh, paying attention, being aware, um, and and using their mirrors as well, and knowing knowing that there's other uh, traffic around them, um, and 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 planning as well. You know, people need to plan and be uh, um, really smart around you know, where they're going and, and, you know, taking some breaks because distraction and fatigue, fatigue is a big, a real big one, you know. Don't put yourself under a whole lot of pressure to get somewhere uh, in uh, a certain amount of time, you know, um, as well as is important. But frustration is going to be a big one that, um, you know, gets people in trouble and that's borne about through many, many things. So, you know, um, for, I think the main thing for me is just uh, when you are out in the roads, be aware of other road users, make sure that, if you are towing something or going slowly as well, you know, don't don't be ignorant and just uh, hold up, you know, dozens yeah. of cars behind you when you can get out of the way. That that's just massive. Um, it's such a bigger issue than that I think has ever been sort of talked about, and that just creates that that whole frustration thing um, on a lot of our roads. And you know, we know we're going to have um, uh, probably there'll be roadworks all over the bloody place as well, which which doesn't help the situation. So, you know, it's uh, it is plan ahead. You know, respect other road users and be aware of what's going on around you. How big a part does patience play in the, the, this holiday season? Not just the holiday season, but, you know, patience. Just you don't have to rush to get anywhere. You're going to get there. Well, yeah, but but, but the problem is is when you are caught up in a queue and there's a car at the front and you're, you're tent in the queue and someone's, you know, doing well under the speed limit in perfect good, perfectly yeah. good conditions, That's what, that creates the patience issue and the frustration issue. Yes, you know, it might not be a massive difference in the time that it takes, but because people end up following too closely and you've got someone right up your bum, buddy, you know, really close, and it creates those angst, those anxiety kind of situations as well, um, because people actually just want to be able to flow along, and most of them, most people, and, you know, people, the majority of people aren't trying to break any laws or, you know, drive everywhere at 120 kilometres an hour, but a lot of people are capable of driving at the speed limit. It's those that then create the bottlenecks and, and, and by being ignorant and, and then speeding up in the passing lane to 110 kilometres an hour um, that cause, cause the issues. So there's multiple things and we've just got to be much better at it. And people, if you're not going to be driving um, at the speed limit, well then, you know, a big thing for me is, you know, let the people that want to 
do it. Yeah. You know. Hey, uh, but this year there was the probably middle of the year. Lots of talk about potholes. Have you seen any improvements about the many roads that you travel in this country? The problem is that um, for every one that gets repaired, there's another one that appears um, because of you know the, the the situation we've found ourselves in with with you know the poor maintenance. You're trying to catch up. It's almost impossible to catch up. So, no, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, every time, as I say, you're driving a piece of road that's had some repairs done, um, there's another part of it that is in disrepair massively. So, um, you know, we're not getting ahead of the game. Um, You know, there has been some challenges uh, in certain areas this year which have made it difficult. Obviously, you know, down in um, Hawke's Bay, for example, with Gabrielle and and all the damage that was done there, you know, just trying to get the roads back open again and then continuous sort of slips in some areas which have just added to the, the whole uh, conundrum has, has made it challenging. But there's a lot of other areas where there's just been a very, very poor performance on the on the repair and also, um, you know, upgrades and things as well, which has caused drafts. I mean, State Highway 1 effectively has had uh, massive sections of roadworks on it for well over 12 months and... And it's still a, still a problem um, between Taupo and, and uh, Tokoroa. And then there's other areas just out of Hamilton and uh, on the motorway um, area there for, uh, by Nahawahia on the motorway, which is just a disaster zone. And these things are just you know causing people so much angst and, and issues. And it's, it's, uh, it's just not good enough, unfortunately. Do you see improvements coming with a new government and the NZTA showing signs that they can get things done, particularly that State Highway 25A bridge done on time, under budget, the whole nine yards. Do you, do you sense a change in the, the narrative and the workflow that will come out of NZTA? I think it's a little bit early for that. Um, I think there's definitely some, uh, Simeon Brown, the, the Transport Minister, has got, um, um, I think, some very strong ideas and, and very differing ideas to what we previously had. Um, and hopefully he is going to put Wakatahi under under pressure to up their performance. Um, like you know that the twenty five A the repair of the uh, was it the what do you call the it Kopu, the Kopu Hikawai yeah yeah I mean that just proves that we can actually get jobs done. I mean that is that that is impressive. You know you got to take your hat off. I I think to um, to everyone involved in that. But again, remember that was closed. There was no traffic going through. It was you know they had full access to that 24/7. Obviously, there was lots of things like weather and things that I'm sure also hindered that. But they've you know it's been it's been done. It's open, and that is a phenomenal effort. So it proves that things can be done. So why can't that be the kind of action we have um, on a regular basis everywhere, rather than you know uh, underperforming? But um, you know I think uh, National and Simeon's got a they got a hell of a job ahead of them, big time, to 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 try and get things back performing at the way it should be for the for the amount of money that we're putting into it. So, you know, big challenges ahead. So let's hope that they do because it's going to be monitored and looked at looked at by by New Zealanders for sure because, you know, we've we've um, complained a lot and we've had a situation where there's been it's worthy of complaint um, around the, the roading and, and the likes. And so, you know, they've got to step it up and get the change happening to actually show that they they deserve to be there. Let's talk about some fun things. Uh, And the the fun things that came out of the motorsport year for me were young New Zealand drivers. I'm going to be talking to Callum Hedge at half past nine this morning, Murph. And I've got to say, he's, he's got this thing about him that says he could be our next special one. Do you agree? 
Oh, I think he's one of a few. I don't think he's. I don't think he's just alone in that. Um, uh, uh, I think there's, there's a few of them out there that are are uh, going to be doing similar kind of uh, things in in their chosen area of, of the sport. Um, but without question, he is one of them. Uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see what he does when he arrives in America uh, early next year and, and gets into the. Uh, the end of next championship, um, he's going to be fantastic. I have no doubt about it. But, you know, it's, there's a real, real uh, strong, small group of them at the moment that are in that space, you know, um, including Ryan Wood and, and also, well, Matty Payne now, you know, just establishing himself brilliantly in supercars with that win at the end of um, the season, mm. the season in supercars in Adelaide. Um, so, you know, they, all these, these young drivers are, are you know, incredible talents and, and um, you know, uh, finding their trade in, in high-level motorsport. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's very exciting. But, you know, I can't wait to see, um, you know, Callum's progress now that he's, uh, you know, got that uh, that spot in the, in the next the feeder category to IndyCar. It's it's pretty exciting. Uh, Louis Sharp is someone who sort of flies under the radar. But we've talked about him before winning British F4 and, and where he goes next. I mean... His his trajectory with the backing of road and cars is probably unlimited if the success continues. Well, uh, yeah, I mean the, the the goal there is it's a clear clear goal and it's being stated. You know, the, it's Formula One and and um, you know, he's doing everything that uh, you need to do at this you know point of a career to to be put on the radar. And from from what we hear, he he is on the radar. There's people taking notice of of him, as in people in, in big, powerful places, um, uh, taking notice of his performance. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to see him be uh, put into, you know, that, that, uh, those feeder categories sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, uh, uh, F3, and then, you know, going through the process into, you know, F2 and the likes that, um, uh, uh, like Liam Lawson has done, and uh, you know, get him get him cracking. So you know, there's some good people there. I think in in, um, in conjunction with with Louis there, are, are guiding guiding well. And you know, it, it's an exciting prospect um, uh, for him, big time. So he's definitely one to watch, and one of those those X Factor stars um, that we you know that we talked about before. You and I have had plenty of discussions in F1 this season. I'm certainly hoping that 2024 is a little a little closer. But the, the one thing we're all going to sit and watch and wait is see if does Perez last a season? Do they, do they slip Liam Lawson into a seat and move Ricardo across to Red Bull? I noticed, I noticed uh, an article on Speed Cafe suggesting that they should have let Yuki Tsunoda go and, and put Liam Lawson. What's, what's your pick early in the, early in the piece for that? Well, I don't think yeah, we're any sort of um, wiser to any of it um, right now, and I don't know, I don't know when when that might change. I mean, there's obviously there'll be murmurings and all sorts of things going on uh, within mm. um, uh, within Formula One and, and Red Bull. I'm sure that they've got a few headaches they've got to sort out. But uh, when that all changes, who would know? Because Red Bull seemed to be able to you know make changes whenever they like. Um, they've got the power to do that, so. You know, um, let's hope that it falls in the way of of Lamb and he gets the chance. All right, mate. I'm going to let you go because you sound tired and you want to get home to the uh, no, home I'm to the home to the bay yeah. and hop in the pool and mow the lawns and do all those sorts of things. You're going to be spending much time on the KTM this summer. 
What? You, you with no plans. You with no plans. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I know where I'm going to be. That's about it. And then um, <laughs> everything else can just fall into place. We've got, you know, I've got a bit of a uh, early start in sort of motor racing in, um, in January. You know, the historic GP uh, that um, is on at Topol on the 19th to the 21st, which is the first round of the the CT Frock. I can't. I can't. Castrol Tour to Formula Regional Oceania Championship. That's why I can't say it. Um, you know, the first round of that, but also combining that with, um, you know, a, a really amazing and awesome historic event. Um, there's going to be some sensational cars there celebrating Holden as well, which um, is bringing, and we're bringing in uh, um, a few very iconic uh, Holden Commodore and, and uh, race cars from, and also Shane Van Gisbergen's Bathurst winning Camaro. Are you going to drive uh, that? I don't know. We're, we're still working that out. I'm not sure. Someone will. So that's going to be there as well, and, and so, that, so that, that's happening pretty early on in the piece. So um, you'll be there, and, and uh, you know, it'll be here before we know. It's only a few weeks. Away. I know, I know, it's crazy. All right, Merv, have a cracking uh, holiday season, and I'll see you. And gosh, what is it? The nineteenth and twenty nineteenth to the twenty first of January at Topol International Motorsport Park with the first round of the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Series. That's why we call it CT Frock Finn, because it's just it's too much to say. Can you imagine me saying that at speed? You know, you can't, can you? No, I can't. No. <laughs> no way. No way. The one thing that moved to, uh, is really hot, though, is about road safety. When you're on the road, what is the, the most annoying thing that you see uh, drivers do? People that just don't do the speed limit. It's so <laughs> frustrating. Uh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So, okay. So if you're in a 50, but you're in a mood to go faster... But they're doing the speed limit. Are you one of those? No, people? no, I, I'm okay with that. There's just so many times I'm driving on the Auckland motorway and like an 80 or maybe a 100 zone, and they're going like 75 or 60. And it's yeah. like, I'm in a hurry, man. I'm trying oh, to get somewhere. Oh, just out <laughs> I'm of not the... speeding, though. Ah, I'm not speeding, though. No, I promise. But, there, but there's something we must consistently remind people of. You don't have to be in the hurry, particularly when you are traveling. Just be patient. That's the most important thing. I know you've probably got cars full of kids and stuff and the whole night towing something. Just be patient. You've got plenty of time to get there. Always good to talk to Murphy. He just he is very, very passionate about keeping you safe on the road, as as we are here on SNZ. Wherever you're listening around the country or in Australia on the SN app, I hope uh, Boxing Day to this early point is going fine. Stick around. Boxing Day is a big day in Melbourne. The Boxing Day test is, starts today between Australia and Pakistan. Yeah, Australia won the first one in Perth by 360 runs. Can Pakistan rebound? You'll be able to hear it on the SEN app, or SENZ app. Uh, We'll talk to SEN Cricket Talk commentator Adam Collins shortly here on Boxing Day. It's Boxing Day 2023 here in SENZ in New Zealand and in SEN in Australia, if you're listening on our app. And, of course, Boxing Day means the Boxing Day test at the MCG. This year, it's Australia against uh, Pakistan. Pakistan reeling from that 360-run defeat against the Aussies in Perth and all sorts of bothers. So let's get a feel of how day one in this test might unfold with SEN commentator, Adam Collins, uh, happy Boxing Day, buddy. Happy Boxing Day to you. Yes, we we uh, we spend a lot of time in Australia building up 
to Boxing Day, almost more than Christmas Day. <laughs> I often think of Christmas Day as Boxing Day Eve, and, and as you described in the introduction there, it's a it's an iconic uh, day in the sporting calendar, has been for about four decades. So sure. it doesn't really matter who's here. I suspect, as usual, we'll get more people one day doing the entire test match at Perth. Adam, do you genuinely get excited about the Boxing Day test as a, as a, a broadcaster and B, as just a sports fan? Yeah, I do still. I mean, it sounds nap, doesn't it? But I'm like, I'm 39 and I still wake up on Boxing Day like it's Christmas Day. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, cliche as it is to say, I still feel that way on that, on that, on that morning each year. So broadcasting it is special because there, there are extra little touches on Boxing Day. I mean, it's the way when you're walking down the hill from Jollymont uh, and, you know, everyone's wearing the Santa hats. I mean, it's naff, but you, you kind of get into the spirit of things. People still wish each other a happy Christmas or the Christmas Boxing Day, um, whether it be on commentary or out in the grandstands. Um, people are bringing their Christmas dinner from the previous day, wrapped up in tinfoil in sandwiches <laughs> and so on. Oh, man. Uh, and, and, and potato pies and so on. And you've got the um, extra part of it this year where there'll be another acknowledgement of Shane Warne's passing uh, just after the interval in the third session uh, today, so you know, it, and that's not unusual to use Boxing Day as a moment to reflect. Uh, in Warren's case, a little while ago, nevertheless, and they've got the Shame One Foundation out there in force this week, implementing heart tests for the crowd. I mean, all of these different things that um, are folded together to make it such an iconic sporting event and one that is lovely casual fandom as well. So people, you know, might wake up on Boxing Day morning. Yeah, you know what, I might go to the cricket. And the beauty of the MCG is you can do that. Uh, a stadium of 95,000 people, you can have that like sort of that, that, that urge to go and there's nothing stopping you. Um, this is another stage of the Warner farewell tour. That first inning was pretty handy with 164, mm-hmm. but a bit of a, a dud in the second innings. Uh, are you happy that this is so his so-called farewell tour? Oh, that's all, yes. In a word, yes, the, in more elaborate terms like this is something that um, has been made after the century I guess, series Indeed, the conversation's probably now advanced even to whether he should be retiring when he's retiring mm. at Sydney the week after next so look Warner is a divisive figure he always will be he was before Sandpaper he absolutely has been since Sandpaper um, he will always be seen as some as tainted uh, however I think the vast majority of people have gotten on with life when it comes to Warner and trying to judge him based on his returns. And they have been modest in the last couple of years. There's no avoiding that. Uh, but he did do a role in England. He did play an important role in England. He, had he failed over there? I think this is really, a really important point to consider in all of this. David Warner never said, I am retiring at Sydney. You are having to pick me. I am a senior player. He said, I would like to finish at Sydney so long as I keep getting selected. And that was always predicated on David Warner continuing to make a contribution at the top of the list. Okay. In England, he did so. And, and he obviously did so a couple of weeks ago. And we asked Pat Cummins on our coverage yeah. before the first test match at Brisbane. Does this guarantee Warner's making it to Sydney? And he didn't say yes. He said he'll have to keep making runs. So all he's done <laughs> is what's asked of him. Mate, uh, Australian sport takes no prisoners. I, I, I want to ask you this question. In that first test, Warner 164, Mitchell Marsh uh, 91, and uh, I think it was Kawaja. Uh, no, that was, he was, yeah, 90, just in, in, in the second innings as well. Yeah, not a lot of runs being scored by many players in this Australian side. Is that of some concern? Uh, I don't think they'll be too worried about that. When you look through it, Mitchell, <laughs> Labuschagne missed out. Uh, that's true that you can't. For two test matches ago at Old Trafford for Australia, uh, chasing down uh, what they did at Underbarthy in the World Cup. 
So uh, I'm just trying to think, in, is there a weak link in that top six right now? There's usually one player under pressure in the Australian side. That tends to be the way it works in an Australian summer. And that was clearly David Warner on the series for dealt with uh, in terms of his uh, ending point at Sydney. I don't really know who that player is under pressure. Uh, I, I, so, no, it's not. Um, maybe Alex Carey at a pinch, uh, but I mean, he's the wicketkeeper and slightly different uh, situation because you're dealing with a specialist position in the field, a member of the conventional top six. There, there is a keen desire to get Cameron Green back in this 11. Make no mistake about it. Uh, there's a big national push for how do we get Cameron Green back. Uh, and I think the way they'll do that, or at least I think there's a way they can do that. And Simon Kadich, former test opener, who's a, a massive part of our SCN coverage, reckons that Cameron Green might end up the test opener um, when Warner goes and they'll get Green back that way on the basis that he's got the, uh, got the technique to play at the top of the list and not just at number six. So there's a bit of a, a watch this space for those two West Indies test matches later in January. Hey, uh, Adam, I like, I like stats because I'm a stats guy because it, it keeps me safe because I, I use them as facts, right? And I was looking at Stephen Smith and Manus Lobachain and their, their, their test averages this year, so to date, which is almost done, and they're, they're probably their lowest point they've ever been. So when you were saying, I don't know who would be under any pressure, uh, do we look at those uh, with, a, with a bit of a side eye or not? It just won't happen with those two because they're seen as so instrumental to Australia's fortunes. 64 he was averaging in 2019, taken as a career mean, and it has been a more moderate in aggregate, but Steve Smith still played two crucial innings this year, one in the World Test Championship final, making a century on the opening day, and that, by definition, was the most important test match Australia played in three being the final. And he made a ton in the first innings at Lords, which proved to be the decisive rubber in that Ashes series, Australia going 2-0 up and through it, retaining the ashes earned. So, yep, Smith hasn't been as consistent in the latter part of his career as he was through the middle part of his career. That stretch of eight years, or you know, six to eight years roughly, uh, between 2013 and pandemic uh, years, mm. he was extraordinary and like nothing we've seen since Bradman. In terms of his consistency, I think he was averaging in the high 70s through that stretch of time. So uh, it was always likely that there would be some reversion to normality for Smith towards the end of his career. He's not at the very end yet. I think he's 34 or 35 now. So he might play for a couple more years, although he has got uh, a challenge with his back these days. But, uh, and just generally speaking, a lot of wear and tear, right? He's spent so many years batting now for Australia. There's going to be, uh, going to be some, uh, some yeah, deterioration of his body. Not too much, but small, small things that people notice. And that will mean that um, he's, it's improbable that his average will, will get higher as he reaches the end. Lavashane a bit different in his late 20s. He is the next uh, most important player for Australia, certainly along with Travis Head. He'll be in the engine room uh, with Head as we um, get beyond this particular generation as Warner retires and Smith gets towards the end. Uh, and Lavashane hasn't had the big year that he would have loved in India. Although, again, like he played important innings in indoor, uh, chasing down runs on the final day, Australia winning a rare test match in India uh, and made a century at Old Trafford to um, keep England at bay. And had England won that afternoon where Labuschagne made then they probably would have won the Ashes 3-2. Uh, so, yes, that's, that's um, again, not for nothing that he has made important contributions. But they both would be um, privately down on the fact that they've not made more runs. But I suppose the beauty of test cricket is a walk out there at Melbourne this week and they can, uh, they can get cracking again. Okay, so on the back of that answer, I will now stand firmly in the corner with the D cap 
on my head after that response to my question. So facts, in other words, uh, <laughs> mean absolutely nothing. Hey, does, can Pakistan take make this a five-day test, or do you think, uh, and, and what wicket do you think we're going to see today? You don't need to take the loss on the previous question. It's a very fair one. I mean, I think with Stephen Smith, just to double down on one point here, if, I, if, if it were me, if, if I were the person picking the Australian team, if I were doing it and I had complete control over this, I'd actually put him to open after Warner finished up as uh, this test opener. Because I think giving Stephen Smith one more fresh challenge might work for him. Um, it won't happen, but, you know, just giving some context there, I'm not. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry, sorry. Do you, can Pakistan last five days? Yeah. With, with, with some weather about in terms of the forecast, Sure. Um, look, Pakistan have been uh, deceptively not so bad in 2023. And by deceptively, I mean, I think we take the assumption when they get pounded by 360 runs that they're easy beats. They're not. It's just that um, they haven't yet gelled with this new brand of cricket they are trying to play under Shah Massoud. They probably don't have um, an experienced enough batting lineup to pull that off yet. It's going to take some time. Uh, but they might click. And if they click at Melbourne on Boxing Day or across these five days... I genuinely think they can give Australia a challenge. They um, played some really, really admirable cricket at Perth, but they could only sustain it for a session at a time. There was never like three or four or five or six hours consecutively where they were winning. They were winning an hour or two here or there. And as we know, to win Test cricket, um, you've got to win uh, moments the whole way through the course of the five days, big moments as well. And the challenge for Pakistan is that they're trying to do it against uh, a quartet bowling together in... Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark and Lyon, who remain at their peak of their powers, who keep racking up milestones, test match after test match together, who are desperate to play together on the MCG pitch, which has been the most, I would say the most consistent in the country over the last three years. It's always given something to the bowlers on day one. So if it turns out that Australia bowl first today, um, they'll be up against it. Adam Collins, you're an absolute champion. Thanks for giving us your time. Have a ripping call today, and we'll all look forward to hearing it on our SENZ app and SEN app in Australia. Cheers, Stephen. Great being part of it. There you go. Adam Collins calling the Boxing Day test here on the SENZ app, so make the most of that. Stick around on Boxing Day. Coming next, ah, some of your favourite moments and music from up to our season. Cheers, Arno. This could be our year. When Marcelo runs it back, Tohu's leading from the front. We're moving up the table like a hot cross bun. Then we see Shui Guy, the coach's box behind. Blocker Roach is saying that the team is doing fine. Shawnee shows a six pack, Dylan just scores some tries. Looking at his curls, is that a perm? Us Channel 9, up the wires. Up the walls, up the walls. Bring it out of trouble with chance running from the back. Then we give the ball off to our big monster pack. AFB and Mitch Barnett, Jackson Ford Buncey. If the ref's rubbish, then our sponsor sends a tweet. Up the walls. Up the walls, up the walls. Up, it's the hottest team in town. Go Media Stadium's packed, and the Joker's in the crowd. 
the Fox League crew and Bossy too. Games live on Sky. Run it from the back fence, then we send it out wide. SJ says, give me the ball. Egan passed along. Those training moves are breaking hooves with the ball bros on. DB bit up heavy. Mean day at the park. Wanna know the rest? Hey, get to Mount Smart. Up the wires. Up the wires. Up the wires. Up the was, it was the phenomenon that swept New Zealand and, believe it or not, much of Australia to the point where uh, Australian cricket commentator Kerry O'Keefe said, why is everybody walking around talking about up the was when they should be talking about Australian cricket? Yeah, that is a true thing, Finn. I mean, I've got to hand it to uh, Gerard Cronin and the Warriors Anonymous podcast crew for producing that. Gerard Cronin, by the way, uh, works for SEN. He's a Kiwi. He lives in Sydney. Works for SENZ, and he has this pretty cool podcast called Warriors Anonymous, which I've been on, and they just love the Warriors. But the idea of doing this was unbelievable. Did you fall into the trap? The tra- not even the trap. Did you, just, did you become part of the Up The Waz tribe? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was a huge Warriors fan this year, and it was it was the first year I properly watched NRL, oh, and okay. I loved it. I loved it so much. I think I don't think I missed a single Warriors game this year. I learned so much about the sport. Wow. I absolutely loved it. Jumped on the up the wires. I guess you could say bandwagon. Yeah, no, no, it's but. it's a fair enough because I get I get I get a bit sort of cynical when people jump on the bandwagon, but then when they don't perform, they fall off the bandwagon. But so I'm, that's why I'm intrigued with you. I know you love your sport, but be, and but you hadn't watched a lot of. Uh, footy? No, no, I never really? really watched much league my entire life. Like I, I watched it a little bit when I was younger, when the Warriors went on that run in uh, 2011, I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 I remember that. I, remember I was, that, I was yeah. only about nine or ten years old back then, so oh, I did, did get up a little bit back then. Um, but no, I never really got into, into yeah. league, and then I thought this year I'd, I'd give it a crack, and one of my best mates is a big Warriors supporter, so yeah. we'd get together every weekend and, and watch the Warriors. Oh, how many live games did you go to? Did you I, go to any? I never got to go to one because I was either here, like producing the game, yeah. or I was, I was at my buddy's house watching it. You, you need to make time to go to a Warriors home game because arguably it's the best sporting experience in New Zealand, bar none. Because of the banter, you've got to go into the, like the north or the south stand for the, the genuine hardcore banter uh, because it's one of the funniest things in sport. You get in a lot of sport, but man, any rugby league fans are brutal. They're absolutely brutal, but, but it's a whole lot of fun. So Up The Wars will roll on in 2024. In fact, speaking of Up The Wars, uh, in the next hour, we're going to talk to Kurt Capewell, one of their big off-season signings. But one of the major accomplishments this year for the One New Zealand Warriors was making the finals. First year coach Andrew Webster and one of the biggest games of the season was their elimination final against Newcastle at Go Media Mount Smart Stadium. Adam G blows his whistle. We're underway. Week two of the finals. It's the Warriors and the Knights. Sudden death as it goes all the way down towards the 10 metre line. That was on Adam Elliott. Now they come out towards the left side. It's dropped. First set for the Knights, and it's dropped by Greg Marju. Looks for Johnson. Johnson out the back, going through a hole, and the first try scored. 
It's going to be Nickel Klukstar. It's almost routine for the Warriors. And how about that for your return to finals football? Just two minutes in. Six and a half Six minutes to play. Six more as well. Wade Egan, he'll attack the line. He's held up over it though. Does he get the ball down? Adam G's there and he's going to go upstairs. He might have seen something, Adam G. Yes. Just inconclusive for the bunker, unfortunately. Wade Egan was confident. A metre out from the Newcastle line. Wade Egan goes left. Johnson now has some space for Fanua Blake. And it's Fanua Blake. Oh, he just stepped through them. A knife through butter. NAFB, Big Bad Allen goes underneath the posts. Then passes on to Tamari Martin. Through the hands, Montoya! Marcelo in the left-hand corner. NMG, I think he's happy with it. He's giving it. Out to Ponga. Ponga has been on the outside. Best through the hands and Marju goes untouched in the left-hand corner with Tenny Zalesniak and flowing up into the line. The Knights answer back. Egan in towards the middle. No, Egan goes himself. I think he's got it. I think this time he might have it, although he's not looking too confident as he gets back to his feet. Wade Egan fails to get the ball to the ground. We have a decision. They're going to go for it. Here's Johnson. Men on the outside. Here goes through the hands with Tenny's Lesniak just maybe slightly out of position. Head into half time. 16 points to four up. Adam G blows the whistle. And Caelan Pye gets us back underway. Finals football here on SENZ. 15 metres out from the Warriors line and right underneath the sticks. They go out towards the left side through Crossland. Then through the hands once again. Now here's Clune's going to run himself at him. Clune gets an offload away. Was it forward? The fans are calling forward. Adam G might not have seen it and he's going to give the try. Now here's Egan. Finds Dylan Walker. And Dylan Walker goes underneath the posts. This is his last tackle, and the Knights' defence is retreating. Johnson might spy an opportunity. Nice little kick in the air. Here comes Wittini Zalesniak flying high, but Marju collides with him. Pushed back into the end goal, and the Knights will be forced to drop out. Johnson off the back of him. Now here's Sean Johnson. A ball out the back. Now here goes Dallin Wittini Zalesniak. Cuts back on the inside. Gets it off, float away. Fighting his way to the line was Rocco Berry, and he thinks he's got it down. He thinks he's got it down. Adam G might think he's got it down, although he's going to go upstairs and check with the bunker. Well, he's allowed to place. He's allowed to That's place. A That's a try. That'll be a try for Rocco Berry. Egan's got plenty of players off to his right. Here's Johnson. Johnson going himself. Nickel Cookster. Dylan. Wittini Zalesniak. Goes through untouched in his famed right-hand corner. And the Warriors, you would think, Kempe, have booked the plane ticket to Brisbane. It's going to be 32 points to 10 with a kick to come. Big high kick from Dylan Walker. Where's that come from? Into the hands of Caelan Ponga, who drops it. It's picked up by the Warriors. Serenin from dummy half. Tamari Martin plays the ball. Serenin! He'll get it! Bailey Serenin! It's going to be 40 points, Kempe! It's going to be 40 points! <laughs> Because he scored right underneath the sticks. 35 seconds left. Field goal from nearly 40 metres. It drifts to the right. I think it was Dylan Walker. That was a bold play. The uh, boys on the sideline having a laugh about it as well. And the Warriors are going to their first preliminary final since 2011. They've defeated the Newcastle Knights. 
40 points to 10 in the first home game at Go Media Stadium, Mount Smart, since 2008. In front, of, in front of a packed crowd, a packed house, Sean Johnson. The man of the hour is the players hug it out in the middle of the field. Tony Kemp, they're going to Brisbane. So one of the most memorable moments in the Warriors season of 2023. Sadly, it didn't last too much longer as they went to Brisbane to face the eventual grand finalists and got well and truly pumped. Do you remember that game, uh, Finn? Because that was the one I thought, you know, how, you know how you get a feeling in a game and you go, they're just not at it. They may just have peaked. And it's such a hard competition to win because it's, you know, if you play finals football, you're playing a lot of footy. I know this is a cliche, week in, week out. But did you get that feeling early that they were just off their game against Brisbane? Yeah, I did, unfortunately. I remember that game pretty vividly. Uh, <laughs> were you sober? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Me and the boys were so excited for that night. Yeah. Um, I remember when Dallin scored that intercept try as well. And, oh, uh, yeah. The house erupted, um, but, you know, quickly brought back down to reality. Yeah. The Ford Pass. Oh. oh all of it. It was a roller coaster. But, um, yeah, no, nah, definitely at one point during the game, it was it was kind of like all hope. Well, not all hope was lost, but, yeah. You I, just I, knew they weren't probably going to get over the line. So if we complete our Finn James uh, up the wise season of 2023, are you now a Warriors supporter through thick and thin after your first sort of over-the-top season? I think so. I really you do think, think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm definitely, obviously, gonna give it a give it another crack next year. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I've supported some pretty horrendous uh, sporting teams over the really? years. So, uh, oh yeah, who? been through some dark days. Like who? The Los Angeles Clippers through the uh, through about 2017 to, yeah. to 18 were, were an interesting team because you because uh, you love your ball. You're a big love ball. love my ball. I've supported the Breakers as well through their dark days over in, in Tassie as well. So I've stu- <laughs> I've stuck with people and I'll stick with the Waz even if they even if they bottle it next year. Oh, no, I tell you, I tell you what, I tell you, what, you just get get to a game next year. Make sure you just tell tell the work. I'm going to a game. Uh, you'll be stuck. All right, uh, we'll uh, come back surely and we'll uh, wrap up the first hour on. On Boxing Day here on SCNZ. So just about done for the first hour of this uh, Boxing Day special here on SCNZ around New Zealand and on the SCN app in Australia. So much more to come in the next two hours. In fact, just lock and load on what you're going to hear in the next hour. We're going to talk to Taylor Earle, netballer, one of the fittest women on a netball court. We're also going to talk to Kurt Capel. Yes, that's right. I think this potentially is his first radio interview in New Zealand. Yes, I think it is actually, since signing with the one New Zealand Warriors. And uh, we'll talk a lot of other things. Plus, we'll remind you actually how well the All Blacks did go at the Rugby World Cup in 2023. After all the wailing and gnashing of teeth, they did okay. So that's coming your way. And a little bit later on, uh, between 10 and 11, Callum Hedge, superstar on the rise in the world of motorsport, three-time America's Cup winner, Glenn Ashby, and we'll revisit one of the great footballing moments in women's football. Stay with us here, Boxing Day on SENZ.
Boxing Day on SNZ, just one year to stay alive on the roads this weekend. So wherever you are around New Zealand and also if you're listening on the SCN app in Australia, just take it easy. Have a great holiday season. But it's December 26, 2023. You know, Finn, I, there's a fantastic documentary. I think it's on Netflix or Prime on the Bee Gees. And at one stage in their careers, you know the whole falsetto of Barry Gibb, you know how he goes so high, right? That, mm-hmm. that yeah. very high-pitched sound. They actually produced that. They actually, in, in the sense that they discovered that they could stand out from the rest by doing that. And it became part of the, the disco era. And that's when they went gangbusters. That whole Saturday Night Fever album, the movie with John Travolta, which had about uh, two iterations afterwards, blew them up globally. The, to the point where the Bee Gees, uh, I think the, the figure is they've had a top 10 hit and a top top hit on the Billboard charts for 50 years, like one every decade. They've got this ridiculous record, and uh, not bad for th- uh, three Aussie boys, eh? That's an impressive run, no, some could say. Some could say. <laughs> Even though it, they, uh, it was all happening before uh, you were alive because you're such a whippersnapper. You missed out. Do what I am. Dude, be me. Just listen to the 80s. <laughs> I missed out on good era, clearly. You, you missed on a crack era. Anyway, <laughs> this is Boxing Day on SENZ with Stephen McIver and Finn James. And coming your way shortly, we're going to talk netball with Taylor Earl. We're going to take you back to the All Blacks getting some revengeance. Revenge, not revengeance, revenge on Ireland of the quarterfinal of the Rugby World Cup. And talk to the biggest signing, some might say, in the offseason for the one New Zealand Warriors. But first up, we're going to talk netball with uh, a secondary schools champion, uh, under-21 champion, and New Zealand A youngster out of Rotorua. Her name is Taylor Earl. Taylor, thanks for joining us on Boxing Day. Here's the really hard first-up question for you. Now, it's been busy. Who's Taylor Earl? Oh, good question. I would say... <laughs> not, the hardest one, not the hardest one in the world. Oh, it definitely is the hardest one. <laughs> I would say that hopefully, people would probably say Taylor of the netballer, to be honest, but hopefully I'm a little bit more than that eventually, um, looking at something as an online PT business, so I'll have something else going, hopefully, other than netball. All righty, let's, let's, let's take it way back. You're a Rotorua girl, and you fell in, you basically yeah. fell in love with netball, and, and, and everything's just gone on from there. What was it a, about netball that you went, oh, I, I like this, and then you're actually pretty good at it? Yeah, I... I've always been someone to dabble in a lot of different sports and my parents encouraged it. They played a lot of sports growing up, so I was able to get a bunch of gymnastics, basketball, touch, and I think netball for me, it just made the most sense in terms of, you know, how I was playing and it just felt natural and I really enjoyed it. All my friends played. And then we had an under-17 tournament. It was my first tournament team and when I got selected for that, I, I looked around at the girls and it was the likes of Sydney Fraser and Deering Paul and I was like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to be playing at this level. <laughs> do, do you think friends are a big motivator to, to play a sport in particular? Oh, 100%. I am very lucky that I had a good group of about 10 girls uh, back home that played netball, touch, basketball. We all kind of played the same sports and I think that was just a driving factor because wherever we were, we were together, so I definitely think friends played a big part. Um, I did move up to Auckland, which mm. kind of put me out on my own. I didn't have any friends at St. Kent's to begin with. So 
I put myself out of my comfort zone. It was challenging, but I think it was good. I've got two daughters, and I've always discovered that when someone is better than anyone else, you always get that side eye from other girls, other players. You know, they think, oh, you know. Did you get much side eye when you were suddenly going, oh, actually, this girl's good? Oh, no. I, I honestly love it when <laughs> I play others and that up there. I think that's one reason why I did move to Auckland was that I wanted to be around people that were way, way, way better than me yeah. so I could push myself and try and find spaces of my game and personal growth that I hadn't yet discovered. So, you know, I love being around people that can push me. I mean, I'm around it every single day at Mystic, so I'm around it even more. At home. So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> which, which, Where did you get that from, mum or dad? I don't know. They're both very sporty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Dad's quite practical. Yeah. So maybe dad, to be honest. Oh, wow. I hope, I hope they're not, mum's not listening in right now because you, you're toast straight straight up and down. <laughs> uh, secondary schools. You, <laughs> you play for New Zealand secondary schools and you, and you, get, to, you get trips away, you know, offshore. How big a challenge is that for someone that maybe hadn't been offshore? Yeah, it was a big challenge. My first, I guess, tour was in Malaysia. So I made the Aotearoa Māori team in 2015, so before my first debut for New Zealand secondary school. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was very different, but I just loved it. I loved the idea of the, of the tour. I loved the idea of being around the same group of girls, training with them before you play. And then, I guess, just, yeah, it's just great experience to get overseas, both for netball and also just, you know, personal growth and find out, what a tour looks like, and as soon as I had my first taste of a tour, I just wanted more. Do, do you think Taylor Earl's built, actually just genuinely built for professional netball? You've won two championships already, the ANZ Championships. Do you think this is just who you are at this point in your life? Oh, I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I love the idea of being an athlete, and I love the impact that we can have on younger generation and other people. So... Yeah, I don't know. I definitely think that I am exactly where I need to be right now. And I think that netball was my calling. And I think outside of netball, I'm just trying to figure out where that outside piece lies. But, I mean, I'm 23, so I feel like I've got a little bit of time. But, yeah, I'm really happy with where I am right now. You've talked a lot about personal growth. So I'm going to throw this one in. I was reading a really interesting article about this pre-season challenge you undertook, the 75 hard challenge, right? Can you, can you explain that to me and, and how that's changed you and, and helped your personal growth? Yeah, 75 hard for me. I decided to undertake the challenge. It's basically a set of rules that you follow for 75 days. And it's a challenge made by Andy Frazella, which is about self-discipline. And I think for me, the off-season is a part that I really struggle with because I thrive when I'm with other people training. So... I think for me, I just really needed to have a routine, and I think 75 Hard did that for me, and I thrived in the challenge. I knew I would, but it wasn't really that hard because I knew the purpose of it, and I knew that there were film trials coming up and everything. So, yeah, for me, I just kind of put my head down and did it. A few of the other girls did it. Amorangi did it as well, and we both found so many um, positives from doing it. I've been looking into doing phase two, but for now I think that I'm just happy with doing the first phase. <laughs> well, you had, you had to drink a lot of water, but I'm, I'm intrigued. It said uh, you had to read 10 pages of a book a day. Now, I'm intrigued yes. as to what that did for you, but 
What books? What books or book did you read? Yeah, I am not usually a non-fiction girl. Mm-hmm. I'm usually a fiction girl, so it was quite different for me. But I really enjoyed it. I was able to get into a routine of reading while I'm eating my breakfast. And okay. this one book, I talk to pretty much everyone now about this one book. It's by Tim Grover. It's called Relentless, and he worked with the likes of Michael Jordan and. He talks about these different mentalities and mindsets or athletes that he deals with, as, and he labels them as a cooler, a cleaner, and a closer. And basically, a cleaner is your top dog. They're the ones that their mindset is soul-focused on sounds one like, purpose. Sounds like They're, an assassin, the cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing. And I think um, my 75 Heart experience can literally be shaped by that one book. It's probably, I've read other books, I read Atomic Habits and stuff, but that book really stuck and I always recommend it to everyone. Uh, game changer for you? Oh, 100%. I talked to Rod, um, who's one of the firm's psychs, and I talked to him about this book and how much of an impact it made me. It just switched my mindset a little bit from, you know, it's easier to be the hunter than to be hunted, and I just don't have anything to lose with netball, so... I think for me, just the mindset of just getting out there and playing and putting everything on the line because I'm in such a great position with netball right now and, yeah, I'm just really grateful. So I just need to make the most of the opportunity while I can. Do you think you're patient? I mean, you must be hanging out for that full silver fern skirt or dress, dress skirt. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm just committed to the grind, I think, to be honest. I just love the challenge. I love putting my body on the line and working hard and working form with my team. So, yeah, definitely patience. But at the same time, if it happens, it happens. And that's why I think I'm in a really good position right now because I'm just going to give what I can give right now. And if it happens, it happens. Do, do, you, do you think visualisation is a huge part of that, though, for you? Yeah, I. to be honest, I haven't actually thought about visualisation recently. I just kind of put every expectation or anything that, I thought behind me and then every opportunity that just came up, I just took it. So I think that's been the biggest shift from even this season in ANZ to coming out of the season after the challenge. I think that's just the mindset shift, which has been the biggest thing. Has Fast Five given you a taste of what it would be like to be a full fern? Oh, yeah, definitely. And any time you get to wear the fern on your chest, it's a great honour. Um but yes, definitely has. It's really cool, the Fast Five campaign and NZA campaigns to get a taste of what an international campaign would look like. Yeah, so I'm really excited and yeah. Do, 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 do you get a feeling though you're close? No, I actually don't. I think there's just such a great pool of middies here in New Zealand and everyone wants it, which I think is why it's so rewarding when you do get the opportunity to represent uh, the fern. Mm-hmm. So... No, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't really feel nah. like I'm close, but <laughs> hey. <laughs> you, gave me, you gave me the year now, nah, but backwards, nah, yeah. So it's a year now nah right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, okay, just what, a couple of things because we're getting close to Christmas. Uh, next season, uh, Michaela Sokolich Beetson back, you mate. That would be nice for the Mystics, won't it? Yeah, um, it was good to have Mick back this year as well. She just has a really good head on her shoulders. She's got great experience. She's such a leader. And I think just having someone in your team and in your environment um, is massive. 
Okay, we get into the holiday period. You said you're terrible in the off season. So, what are your cursed foods that you can't stay away from over the summer? Oh, uh, we'll have to say chicken tenders. Oh, wow! Homemade, homemade. Anything. I just love a chicken tender. You just love a chicken tender. <laughs> I'll have a I'll I'll have a I'll have a lemonade and a chicken tender with that, please. <laughs> Pretty much, and definitely mac and cheese. That's going to be a big one too. Oh man! You, do, now, do you make your own mac and cheese? That's the key. Um, yeah, mum's here, so mum ah. <laughs> mum makes mac and cheese. Mum's got the killer mac and cheese. All right, my girl. All I can say is thanks for giving us your time. Have a happy, happy holiday season, and we look forward to you seeing ripping up the courts next year. That was Taylor Earle, a Silverfern training partner ahead of the Nations Cup. Great lady. Can you imagine that, Finn? Uh, Finn? Think of her comfort food as chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. What's your, what's your comfort food? Pizza. Pizza. Love a good pizza. What's your favourite, though? Anything meaty or like a chicken onion pizza. <laughs> Anything meaty. Anything meaty. You are a good such meat a lovers. young bloke. Anything meaty. The old meat. Mind you, I've got to say, yeah, meat lovers was always good. All right. She's a wonderful young lady. Hopefully one day she earns the full silver fern kit. Uh, so she's a training partner for the Nations Cup with Kate Burley and Georgia Heffernan. Uh, Dame Nolan Tolua has named her Silver Ferns Netball Nations Cup squad. The first game for them is against Australia and London on January the 21st. The shooters, Amorangi Malesala, Grace Wecky and Amelia Wormsley. The midquarters, Maddie Gordon, Kate Heffernan, Mila Reuelu Buchanan and Whitney Sunis. And the defenders, Karen Berger, Kelly Drew, that is strong. Phoenix Karaka, who is the skipper. And the return of Michaela Sokolic-Beetson. So that's the Nations Cup. Coming your way from January the 21st, Game 1 for the Silver Ferns against Australia in London. Still to come on this Boxing Day edition of SENZ, we're going to flash back to Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinal for the All Blacks and also stick around and hear the Warriors' biggest off-season signing, Kurt Capel. Stay with us. You're listening to Boxing Day 2023 here on SENZ with Stephen McIver and Finn James. And this was a huge year if you're a rugby fan because it was Rugby World Cup year in France. And you know what I, I struggled to understand, Finn, was, and I know why, everybody, you know, all the, the reasons why everybody wrote the All Blacks off because of their, their poor form, genuine poor form for a, a large part of the year. But... I'm surprised no one had any faith in actually the the all-black machine because everything was pointed towards, you know, poor old Ian Foster, the now former coach, replaced by Razor Robinson. And I I thought, you know, that's a tough call because I've always had this mentality that coaches aren't the ones on the field. It's the players. Now, yeah, you can tell them how to play their game, but surely the uh, accountability must fall firmly on the shoulders of the players, more so than the coach. I sometimes think the uh, coach is the whipping boys. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think Fozzie was a bit a bit hard done by at times over, over the course of his time on the All Blacks, especially during that um, little rough patch yeah. during uh, 2022. But, um, you know, so, I mean... You can never write off the All Blacks, can you? It's, no, no like, I, I mean, are you an All Blacks fan? I mean, you're, you're a young kid. Yeah, kid. absolutely. I you grew are? Up, I Why? grew up watching. Well, I, I grew up on that incredible run of the All Blacks with Dan Carter and Richie McCall. Oh. They were my idols when I was younger. I used to be a big rugby head. 
And, you know, watching the 2011 and 2015 World Cup, like just that whole period of All Blacks rugby was so special to me. And I mm. always have a space in my heart for the All Blacks no matter what. Oh, okay. So that's but that's really cool because it had, had it's because you're a young man, but I think those they were generational. We we were watching a generational group of individuals who, to this day, are, are still fantastic individuals as they are. But I, I always struggled. So when when they got to the quarterfinal, I, I was laughing. I was actually laughing to myself, not publicly because people know I'm sort of not a great rugby fan. But I thought, no, no, good on them because you know they they were showing that there was a lot more. And I think it was Aaron Smith who'd who'd done an interview early in the piece in the build up and said, you know, we're ready. We are we are well in tune. He's a, he's you know he's one of the almost that generational talent, the last of that generational talent going through. And I thought, yeah, I think everybody be very careful here about writing them off. So that's where we're going to go first uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to bring you the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal where the All Blacks have revenge on their mind against the number one team in the world at that point in time, and that was Ireland. It will be Johnny Sexton to kick Ireland, running from right to left, Sexton deep. Towards the All Blacks, 22 and Connor final number two is off to the races. 49 metres out, in line with the right hand upright. The crowd quiet, he hits it left, but it's going to bend back and straight between the uprights. 13 and a half minutes gone on the Hino. Trucks, clock, a better class of truck. And it's Geordie Barrett who's made it. Island nil, the All Blacks six. Richie Moonga is back, who collects on his own uh, 22 metre line. Here is Bowden Barrett chipping over the top. Can he get the bounce? Oh, yes, he can. Five metres shy of the 22. Ball there. Broken Irish defence away to the left-hand side for the All Blacks. It's Jordy Barrett. Lester Vanganuku. Back on the inside from Rico Iwani to the number 11. And the All Blacks have scorched Ireland with a quite brilliant try. The All Blacks lead 11 points to nil. Kick to come. Wide ball in midfield by Lowe. Bundyaki steps off one, beats one, two, hands off another to the line. What a tie. Bundyaki has been a beast at this World Cup and he's got Ireland's first try. And the Korean one at that, Corey Jane. Under advantage offside. The All Blacks want to go back to the short side. Will Jordan. Here is a chance for Rani Savi on the right corner. Oh, A plus for the dive. He puts it down. The All Blacks have another try. And this first half won't quit. It's 18 points to 10. Kick to come, seven minutes to play in the opening 40 minutes. To the front of the line out they go. Now they try to drive forward. It's getting closer. They're creeping forward. Off the back, Ireland go to the line, they are there. Ireland score. Ireland score. It was Gibson Park. He folded off the back, dummied, and that just saw Will Jordan bite just a touch. And despite Artie Savir and Cody Taylor coming across Corey Jane, he reaches out the right arm and he gets the ball down. Back to Sexton and he kicks the ball to the right-hand sideline. And the first half is over. What a brilliant half of football. It's been epic to watch. So much action. So much activity. They're going to have to go deep. The second half starts with New Zealand kicking away inside the Irish 22, where it's brought by Bundy Arcade. Plans. New Zealand have kicked the ball up to the right-hand sideline. On the line out, they will go. Here's Richie Mawonga. He's made a break. He feeds Will Jordan. He has gas. Two 
too much gas and scores a brilliant try out of nowhere. Richie Mawanga, a break from the heavens, has broken this game wide open. 23 points to 17 kick to come. Defensive line out to start. Five metres out. White lock goes up. Can't win it. Here is the drive and it's to the line. They are there. They will score. No oh. penalty try. Penalty try. It was a flying wedge almost. Corey, they were flying to the line. A dead set try look coming. But it's double jeopardy for the All Blacks because Wayne Barnes goes to the pocket. There's going to be a yellow card. Who's it for? I'm not sure. It might be Cody Taylor. It is. Ireland will go in front because... No, they won't. Of course, they all automatically no, seven add seven. They automatically add seven. Yeah, no, you don't need to convert, so I'll just catch my breath. Comes through and strikes this one much more sweetly and through the uprights. New Zealand lead, 28 points to 24. Ten and a half minutes remaining. To the right-hand side here is Sexton on that short side. Gives it to Conan. How often have I called his name in this extraordinary passage? 37 phases and counting. Here's Kalahar. Strong shoulders on him. Over the top, Sam Whitelock. Over the top, Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock, you are magnificent. Sam Whitelock has forced a penalty. And the game will be over. Sam Whitelock's career will go on and the Irish will crash out of Rugby World Cup 2023. Always, always bet on black. The All Blacks 28, Ireland 24. Corey, Jane, can you believe what you've just seen? Heartbreak for Ireland and Irish fans, but it didn't uh, stop the pundits uh, voting Ireland's head coach, Andy Farrell, as World Coach of the Year. And then the Irish Rugby Union uh, doubled down and have re-signed him till the end of the next World Cup, which is 2027. So, you know, come out smelling roses, but any professional athlete, any professional coach wants to hit the Holy Grail and win the Rugby World Cup, if that's the sport you're playing in. Now, the, here's the encouraging thing. All Blacks went on to semi-final, beat Argentina. Uh, interesting out of that that Michael Checker is no longer the, uh, the Argentinian coach. They've got a new coach. Uh, but the most important thing for those doubters, the All Blacks made the Rugby World Cup final against the defending champions in South Africa. The countdown is over. Kickoff is on us. The 10th Rugby World Cup final starts with New Zealand running from right to left and kicking it off into the South African 22 into the hands of Damien Willemsa who quickly gathers and sends the ball up the right-hand side and will find touch. Here we're going upstairs. Oh dear. Well, I know you can't judge intent, but there's no intention there. It's just a rate. He's folded in. He's going to the bin. Ball there for Lomax. He's drilled to the ground. Now swept away by Aaron Smith. Finds Shannon Frizzell. He can't get on a weak shot of Peter Sniff to toy there because there's no such thing. Here's a chip over the top. And he oh. almost had the bounce and almost had the first try of Rugby World Cup. Genius idea from, I think it's Geordie Barrett, dropped it onto the left foot. But the bounce of a rugby ball is a cruel, wicked thing. Here we go. It's going to be upgraded to a red card. Wow. Huge moment. Sam Kane is sent off in the Rugby World Cup final. Talia bounces away from one, two, three. He is tackled 12 shy of the goal line. Artie Sabia pick and go. 
now he floats them all to the left hand side. Oh. White ball, Rico Ioane's on the outside. Oh, what a tackle. Arenza, who had no right, no right to get back and make such a good tackle. But he has. And that is the end of the first half. Start de France has seen quite a contest. Full of vim and vigour and controversy too. Sam Kane sent off the first man ever sent off in a Rugby World Cup final. Four penalties to Andre Pollard. Has South Africa on top. Richie Moanga has kicked two for the All Blacks. And at the half, it's South Africa leading by 12 points to six. Arenza leading the race. Arenza's got there and is he held on to it as he goes over the line. We have to check the replay. What happened there? Did Bowden Barrett just... I think he thought it was going out. Oh, was... would have scored. Yes. Bowden Barrett, you need to wake up. He's I... tried to let that ball bounce out, and Arenza has come flying through and was so close to holding on to that. Mawaiya, can he slip the tackle? He can. He's got Dalinde, tries to get on the outside. Talia was left. He's done it. He's still going. Richie Mawaiya on the inside. Aaron Smith, the try. You are kidding me, Richie Mawaiya. What a moment. What a try. And the All Blacks have the first try of the Rugby World Cup final in 2023. And with the kick to come, they could go in front with 27 minutes to go. While the home fans are becoming All Blacks fans, aren't they? There's growing frustration. It's growing frustration. You can feel it. You can feel it at start to France. So it is a penalty to New Zealand. New Zealand trail by six. Mwanga away. Geordie Barrett, a big pass to the left flank. Talia carving back. Benny one, Benny two, straight eight. Off Friday, picked up. Try, try. It's Boone Barrett, is it? Oh, don't tell me they're going to rule this one out too. They'll look for the four pass. They'll look for a four pass, you are sure from Geordie Barrett, but Bowden Barrett has gone in in the left-hand corner. New Zealand will not give up. It's 12-11, kick to come. New Zealand, a sniff to go in front. Oh, the irony. Wayne Barnes has correctly called a forward pass in the sense it wasn't a forward pass. It was back out of the hands. It's landed, then bounced forward. It's Rico Ioane up towards the halfway line. Over the top, Quagga Smith. He's flicked it. Back into the field of play. Then a wild pass all the way back to their own 22 mid line. Jesse Creel just kicks the ball down the field. Straight into the path of Damien McKenzie. 45 seconds remaining. McKenzie on the halfway line. Dancing to his left. Feeding Adi Savia. One on one. He cuts back against Arense. Beats one. Beats two. Offloads. It didn't go back. And then Anton Leonard Brown has knocked the bouncing ball forward. New Zealand have gone oh so deep into the well just to stay in this game after being down to 14 in the first half. Can they steal it at the death? So before the scrum started, they had to put it in, they would have had to play one phase. Now they can put it in and kick it out. If they hold it at the back for sure. Yep. 27 seconds, you're right, Kelly. There's the set. The feed taken at the back. Christie has buffed a clerk and it's picked up by a man in offside position, is it not? Play on is the call. South Africa drive to the sideline. Ball's held up. Ball turned over, is it? The final whistle sounds. Heartbreak for the All Blacks. Delirium for the Springboks. They've gone back 
to back. The box are world champions again for a fourth time. Despair for the men in black who gave every, every little bit they had. Outnumbered, outmanned, not outgunned. But they've come up painfully short, agonisingly short. South Africa win 12 to 11 in Paris. South Africa, champions of the rugby world once again. South Africa champions once again, but for New Zealand fans, a little bit of a boke at the end of all of this. Adi Savia was named Player of the Year uh, later in the year, and he just, uh, he's a machine. I think the interesting thing will be, is Adi Savia going to be the next captain of the All Blacks. Finn, just quickly, yay, nay, or do they stick with Sam Kane? First of all, I just think Adi Savia thoroughly deserved uh, Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, and yes, no, I do think Adi Savia probably will slot into that captaincy <laughs> role when uh, when Sam Kane it, goes it, away. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to say the least. All right, stay with us here on Boxing Day here on SENZ around New Zealand and Australia on the SEN app. Coming next, the one New Zealand Warriors biggest off-season signing, Kurt Capel, coming up. Town when it comes to 2024. That will be former Penrith and Brisbane Bronco Kurt Capewell, the biggest off-season signing before the 2024 season. 139 games, one premiership, one premiership with the Penrith Panthers, and now he's a one New Zealand warrior. We're going to talk to him right here on Boxing Day on SNZ. Kurt Capewell, welcome to the One New Zealand Warriors. Uh, thanks, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be over here and I uh, can't wait for the season ahead. Were you surprised at the opportunity coming up from, first of all, the Broncos and then the Warriors actually swooping in? No, not at all. Um, I'd, I'd been in talks with the Broncos and um, they made it, you know, made me aware that, uh, that they were pursuing, obviously, Ezra Mam and Reese Walsh and that there wouldn't be too much left in the kitty for the following year. So, um yeah, I was uh, I was open to exploring other options, and um, yeah, luckily enough that Webby reached out from the Warriors, and um, I seen it as a great fit, so I jumped at the opportunity. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Australian players look across the ditch, and they sort of they're a little nervous about the move. Was it an easy decision for you and the family? Oh, a hundred percent, mate. Um, I'd actually probably rather live in uh, New Zealand than in Sydney, so it's easier for me, for sure. Uh, and I know there's a bit more travelling to do throughout the season, um, but I guess I'll just be happy racking up the frequent flyer points. <laughs> How important is it uh, having Andrew Webster as your coach? 
It is uh, it's pretty important, mate. He's a uh, big reason to why I've ended up at the Warriors, and I've worked with Webby before at Penrith. He's very detailed in what he does, and um, what he'd done last year with the Warriors and the season they had was um, pretty remarkable to watch. So to be a part of that moving forward is going to be going to be great, and yeah, I can't wait to get over everything. Yeah, were you were you surprised that there? I'd call it swift elevation under Andrew to suddenly up the wires was a, a trending phrase and, and they were looking genuinely contenders. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, I wouldn't say I was surprised. Uh, uh, Webby's meticulous with his detail around um, everything on and off the field. So he's got a great squad, a uh, talent. And uh, if you can use that talent and, and point, it, point them all in the same direction, then... Um, they're pretty unstoppable, and they showed that last year at times. And I think um, the year coming is going to be a very exciting one for Warriors fans. What's Kurt Capewell going to add to the Warriors? I'll just do what I can, mate. To be honest, I'm not going over there to change anything. Obviously, I'm just uh, going over there to try and help out. And I guess you know, there's a couple of young really skillful back rowers coming through for the Warriors, so if I can teach them anything uh, out of my game, that'll sort of be my role and sort of you know, try and help them out along the way and um, just do my job. That's sort of uh, what I've done everywhere I've been is just do my job and um, the rest will take care of itself when you've got players like Sean Johnson in your team and uh, Tamati Martin, uh, Roger Tuovasashek, you know, the list goes on and on with players that are going to win your games and I'm going to be there to do my part too. I know it's early days for you, Kurt, but Roger Tuivasa-Shek said the other week that he senses there's something special here. Did you get any sense of that when you had a visit or is it just uh, looking from afar, you know, things are going to happen? No, definitely. You can, um, I guess when I first went over there for a visit, I could definitely sense in Webby's eyes um, how passionate and how 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 much he really believes that something special is about to happen in the Warriors. And um, after meeting all the boys and then doing a couple of training sessions, you can really see the intent behind every drill and every rep. Um, everyone's working their, working their butt side off to, to get everything right because they know that um, there's an opportunity coming for the Warriors and they don't want to miss it. You know, I, I look at your signing, and, it remind, and you've probably heard this before, but it reminds me so much of the signing of Kevin Campion all those years ago because he made an instant impact and his impact from where I stood was purely on standards and professionalism. Is that who Kurt Capewell is as well? Yeah, I guess um, I'd probably, I could probably say my biggest uh, impact and my biggest thing that I take everywhere I go is the little things. Um, it's, it's all the little things that no one sees on the field, all the little efforts that go unnoticed, but um, all the little things make big things happen. So and it's something I've really prided myself on my whole career. And, um, you know, the Warriors definitely, they have that, that mentality and they showed it last year. So if I can enhance that in any way, um, that'll help as well. Do you think it's the little things, Kurt, that uh, make you a survivor in the game? You know, 139 games and, you know, some guys don't even get past 15, they're done. Is it the details that make the difference for you, particularly physically? Yeah, it's um, it's obviously a grind um, playing NRL week in, week out. But uh, I think if you can hang your hat on on making sure you do all the effort stuff um, in the game and 
you know, not let your mate down, then uh, win, lose or draw, you can hold your head high and, and you can get by. And um, I think that's definitely what's helped me throughout my career is, um, you know, not never slacking on the effort plays and, and always being there to put my hand up to whether it be a kick chase or you know, a yardage carry out of your own end. Um, I'm more than happy to do that sort of stuff as long as I get to watch players like Roger score tries outside me. Kurt, it was, it was a stunning year for the Warriors, but even a, a bigger ride for the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, how enjoyable was that? Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a bit of sweet, obviously, the ending, but uh, throughout the whole year, we just had so much fun and um, build a bond with those boys, you know, that I'll, that I'll never lose. And um, I'm very grateful for the Broncos and the time I've spent there and, and what we were able to achieve in such short time. Uh, when I got to the club, obviously they were not in the in the greatest shape, and I thought we'd turn that around pretty quick, smart. And you know, we only dismissed finals the first year, and to go on to a grand final against um, probably what's one of the greatest teams in the modern era, um, and, and only you know just lose it. It's a pretty remarkable feat. Uh, they got a lot of young superstars at the club, and uh, I'm sure if they maintain those players at the club, then uh, they'll be pretty strong for years to come. And, Hopefully just not as strong as the Warriors and we can pip them in the grand final. That'd be great. Wow, I, 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 lo- I love your energy already. You're already a warrior through and through. I have to ask you, though, uh, Reese Walsh, how special is he and how how influential can he become? He's a bit special in the head. No, <laughs> he's, um, he's a great kid. He's a great kid. He's, uh, he's just sort of finding his feet now as as an integral spine member of the team. Uh, it's a lot of responsibility, as you'd know. Um, they control a lot in defence and a lot in the attack, your fullbacks. So he's uh, really, you know, grown a lot in the last 12 months. And I think, you know, with another 12 months under his belt, he could be anything. So it's got to be hard to uh, play against him, that's for sure. I hope he doesn't run at me too often, but um, it's going to be awesome to watch his career unfold. Kurt, I know there's genuine excitement on this side of the Tasman with your signing. It sounds like you're, you're ready to rumble. So all I can say is uh, welcome to the Warriors and happy holidays, and I'm sure you're looking forward to pre-season. Thanks for having me, guys. I uh, can't wait to get back over there and start training with the boys. Up the wires. Hasn't taken Kurt Capewell to get into the, the whole up the wires territory. Well, if you are a Warriors supporter, the NRL draw has been out for a while. Let me just remind you of what you can look forward to. Round one, Friday night footy straight up against the Sharks. How crazy is that, knowing that Adam Fanua Blake is going to the Sharks in 2025? So he'll be wanting to make a statement to his new club a year out. Still find that a bit crazy. Round two, they're on the road on Saturday the 16th of March to the Storm. Round three, they're home to the Raiders. Round four, they're also home to the Newcastle Knights. That's a Sunday game at 6.05. Round five, they're away to the Bunnies. Round six, they're home to the Seagulls. Round seven, away to the Dragons. Uh, I like I like watching the Titans play. Des has a new coach. Well, that's round eight. It's a Thursday night game. They get a Thursday night game, so they get a long weekend in round number eight. Round nine, uh, they've got the Knights. Round 10, it's the Roosters. Round 11, home against the Panthers. That'll be a cracker. They're actually home to the Dolphins the following weekend as well. Round 13, they get the bye. Round 14, they've got the Cowboys. Round 15, they're home to the Storm. Round 16, they play the Titans again, this time in Titanville. Round 17, home to the Bronx. My doggies 
Oh, they get the doggies away in round 18. They've got a round 19 by. Round 20 away to the Raiders. Uh, round 21 home to the Tigers. Round 22, the Eels. Round 23 away to the Dolphins. Uh, round 24 away to the Eagles. And round 25, they are home to the Dogs again. Round 26 away to the Sharks. And round 27, they get a bye in the last round. Round 27. So that is your one New Zealand Warriors draw for 2024. Man, it's a it's a long, long season. Mind you, three buys in, so what's that, 20, 20 24 games? <laughs> My maths was terrible. You are listening to SENZ on Boxing Day with Stephen McIver and Finn James. We'll, we'll wrap up the hour in just a moment. Stay right here. Boxing Day on SENZ, December 26, 2023, with Stephen McIver and Finn James. Wherever you are around New Zealand, trust it's going okay for you. Your head's okay, you've you've done okay, and your, your tummy's full, and everything's just rolling along. Busy little hour coming your way in the next hour. We're going to talk to the next rising superstar of motorsport in New Zealand. That's called Callum Hedge. And then we sit down with Glenn Ashby, three-time America's Cup champion, about what he and I have been doing in season 2023 as we head towards the Louis Vuitton 37th America's Cup in Spain next year. And we'll relive the football ferns beating Norway in that FIFA Women's World Cup opener, which is one of the great moments in New Zealand sports. Stay with us. Boxing Day here on SCNZ. Tonight I'm going to have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world. Boxing Day 2023, don't stop me now from Queen, and that uh, applies perfectly to our first guest, not too far away, which is Callum Hedge, but it's going to be a busy hour from now until 11 o'clock. We've got Glenn Ashby talking America's Cup. There's been two preliminary regattas uh, this season, one in Spain and one in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and then the big show begins in August next year in Barcelona, the Louis Vuitton 37th America's Cup, plus a bit of women's football before we close out this edition of Boxing Day between 8 and 11 here on SCNZ. Callum Hedge is a young New Zealand racing driver who has not been able to have been stopped in 2023. At the beginning of the year, he came second in the local Super Sprint Series, which is the CT Frock Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Series, where uh, the likes of Yuki Tsunoda, Lando Norris, 
uh, have gone on to become Formula One drivers. Liam Lawson as well has won it. Uh, Nick Cassidy, who's in Formula E. So he finished runner-up there. Then he went on to Formula Regional America, which is an open-wheel class, very similar to CT Frock. Went on and won that. Yeah, won that. Oh, by the way, then he also uh, won the Porsche Carrera Cup Australia. Now, Porsche Carrera Cup racing is some of the most competitive motor racing in the world. One makes series all around the world. There's Asian series, European series, American series. And this youngster, and I mean youngster, went out and won the Australian series. And he joins us right now. Hello, Callum. Good evening, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, good to see that you're on. What do you mean, good evening? What planet are you on? Have you been to the gym yet, or is that all that testosterone flying around your body after your gym session? No, today I haven't been to the gym. I'm uh, just pulling in to Hampton Downs to do a bit of FT50 coaching today. Ah, who are you coaching today in the FT50s? Young lad Sebastian Manson. So uh, been training at the gym with him a little bit, and... Today's the day he's going to go for a skid in the F250. Hey, Sebastian, he's been running Formula Ford, hasn't he? Yeah, Formula Ford New Zealand. Uh, he's been pretty much winning everything in that and looking to do something new. Is there some suggestion he might be a late turn-up for the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Championship Series? Uh, I'm not too sure yet. He's actually not old enough to compete in the okay, series. Right. So um, he's just probably doing a bit of preparation and, and planning for some bigger stuff. Okay, let's talk about you, because I know you love talking about you for all the right reasons. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on a mighty year, Callum. Um, if we go right back to the start of the year, you finished second in the CT Frock, uh, the big summer series here. And we had this discussion, I remember we had this discussion, and you, you were quite liking, liking, or probably more liking tin tops. Then suddenly you just came alive in the open wheelers. What changed for you? Um. I'm not too sure, really. Like, for me, it was just I went out into that championship just planning on having a bit of a go, uh, seeing how I went. And with the main goal of just putting myself on the radar, I feel um, with my Porsche stuff, I couldn't quite get on the radar as much as I could have. So we decided we'd we'd take a chance on CT Frock or TRS, as lots of people would call it, Mm. and aim for some results because that's really sort of – Sprung a lot of young Kiwis like myself into some bigger and better things. Uh, pretty much every single New Zealand racing car driver has been through that championship, and uh, we were thinking to do the same thing, and that's exactly what it did for me. Was it quite intense for a youngster? Because I know you're confident, but you know that's five back-to-back weekends, and there's constant media attention at the tracks and having to do things. Was that a wake-up call for you as to okay, if I'm going to succeed in this, I've got to I've got to handle all of this. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's just the nature of racing. Um, it's hectic, it's stressful, it's busy. You're supposed to, supposed to be stressed. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoy that side of it and had a great five weeks. It was super fun. And and the big thing that we all, we all talk about, and if you didn't know, uh, Callum loves his Crocs. And we tried very hard to give you a get you a sponsor, but all they gave you was one pair of Crocs. I thought they were a bit tight asses, actually. Yeah, I'm going to say the same as you are. <laughs> you got one pair of Crocs. Are you still rocking the Crocs? Yeah, I'm actually rocking some right now, eh? Oh, okay. My daughter wants some for Christmas. She wants khaki ones, so I think I'm going to have to... That would be a very, very good Christmas present. Hey, hey, now, where do you get those? What do you call them? Widgets or digits or what do you call them? Gibbets or... Honestly, uh, I bought a couple at the Croc shop in America yeah. the first time I went there. 
And other than that, the rest of them have just been given given to me, and I just keep adding to the, but, to but, the collection. But what do you call them? Gibbets. Oh, it is gibbets. Oh, okay, it is gibbets. Okay, because widgets are something to do with your, your phone and things like that. Hey, now let's talk about Formula Regional America, which you went out and just cleaned up. I mean, you could have cleaned up in the second to last weekend, but you didn't. Uh, how competitive was that? And, and how similar were the cars to uh, CT Frog? Yeah, it was a cool uh, championship. I really enjoyed racing some new people. I never raced in America before. It was interesting at the start of the year, just getting used to the culture and the different environments of being in the USA. Um, I'm not sure if you remember Ryan Sheehan from yep. uh, Vicky Crock here in New Zealand. So he was sort of my main championship protagonist for most of the season. Um, he was he was normally quite fast. He knew all the circuits and all that stuff. So it was cool to go out there every single time I go to a weekend, a fresh track. Um, in terms of the cars, I would say it's like two Formula One teams building to the same regulations. They're um, similar, built to the same rules, but have their different philosophies. But the fact that you were so dominant, did that just roll as it, as it got better and better for you? Or did you always feel pressure at the weekend to perform? A bit of both. I always felt the pressure to put it together and be quick and try and win every single race. That's, that's what you do every time you go to the track. You're always there to win. Hmm. Um, but once we, once we started winning in that first, first weekend, um, I really felt that we could, we could go on a bit of a streak and really put some, put some margin in on the points. And that's exactly what we did. And it was just a credit to the team and the people who made it happen for me. What people wouldn't realise, winning that championship actually was worth a lot of money to you to set up 2024 because it's helped you now move into Indy NXT. Do they, now, what do they say? Do they call it Indy NXT or Indy Next? Um, they call it Next. I called it NXT and then I got pulled off. <laughs> okay, so now you are in the feeder series, like the step below IndyCars. Uh, I think I think Louis yeah. Foster's going to go back again for another crack who, who raced out here at, uh, early in the season in CT Frog. You've got uh, Jamie Chadwick. And you're in a team called HMD Motorsport, which have basically the, uh, an, an enormous amount of an enormous amount of cars, but also the winning car, I think, from last year. What are those cars like? How much of a step up are they? Yeah, it's a lot faster. I did the test day back in September or October. I can't even remember. The whole end of the year was a bit of a blur with all the travelling. But it was a it was a fairly similar style of driving, I must say. Um, at the end of the day, it's still got four wheels and a steering wheel. But just to get used to a car that's at least 10 seconds faster than what I've, I'd ever driven before, um, it's safe to say my neck was pretty thrashed at the end of the day and I needed a few days off but it was a cool experience the push to pass is cool the car's got a lot of power the wings are huge, it sucks to the ground and it was a great fun uh, How confident are you coming off that back of your FRA season going into Indy next or are you going to just take this step by step? Uh, I think take it step by step I will be able to answer your question probably after we've done a few more days of testing <laughs> and uh, then I'll let you know. Yeah, uh, how now it's a big move for you because you have full time. Uh, it's a full time gig in the states, right? Fourteen, uh, fourteen races starting March ten. Yeah, there's a few. There's pretty much like going to be some blocks where I where I'm there for two or three months, and then come home for a 
for a week or so and then go again whenever there's a break. So uh, that's the plan. You must be genuinely excited about this. Yeah, I am. It's um, it's a new new path for me. I never, even 12 months ago, thought that I would be racing in Indy Next. So for me, it's quite cool and quite surreal to be in the position I am and I just feel really lucky to have the people that backed me all the way. I mean, I mean, your your season of 2023 just is one word, success, because you won the Porsche Carrera Cup Australia. Now, how tough was that combining FRA and everything else you were doing to win what is probably one of the closest championships anywhere around the world? Yeah, like, I was actually quite drained for the kind of second half of the year there was so much traveling and so many back-to-back events that I was I was pretty wrecked really I uh, I wanted it to be over at the Gold Coast um, but I still had a trip to America Portugal and the last round of Career Cup Australia to uh, to polish off so it was one of those ones where you just have to stay focused the whole time um, we kind of said at the start of the year when we officially signed up to do both championships uh, we're like how cool would it be to um to lead both and win both and then I got to the lead of both and was like oh and now what do I do I have to win them both <laughs> do you feel the pressure now do you think there is somewhat of a small target on your back coming in from that success from this year moving into next year with Indy Next um, not really I feel like I actually might be a bit of an underdog heading into the championship a lot of those guys have already done a season a few of them have done FIA F3 a few of them have done a lot more racing than I have in single seaters and they'll probably look at me and see my career Cup Australia Championship and my Formula Regional America Championship and be like, who's this guy? Oh, okay. Oh, you, you, are playing, you are playing it cool. So does this summer now for you mean physical preparation, having, having one good pig out day and then okay, into the gym and strengthening the neck and everything else involved? Pretty much. I've been in the gym almost every day since I've been since I've been home, um, I identified when I drove the car that my body was fit enough, I felt, um, but just the neck needed to be improved. That's generally what happens when you drive something faster. Um, and I can confirm my neck was very sore the next day. So um, <laughs> once, I, once I work on that and put my head on some of those band things that look like torture devices then I should be a bit better <laughs> You'll be fine mate, so um, are we going to see you around the, the circuits for the early part of the summer series at all? Um, most likely not, um, my flight to America is on the 5th of January so oh. not, a very, not a very big break, but I'm not sure if I have to return sometime in February for a visa so hopefully I do because I'd like to come out and have a bit of a look around Yes, well, we will miss you around the tracks and your wonderful personality, but I couldn't, we, uh, the motorsport community, could not be happier with what your 23 has been like. And Callum, all I can say is go get them and beat them up in 24. But we will talk again. We'll give it a crack, Stephen. Thanks, mate. Andy, next racer, Callum Hedge, joining us on Boxing Day here on SENZ. If you are a real fan of Indy cars, Indy Next, just to, to keep you up to speed, 
uh, is actually the, the the tier below. It's a bit like playing reserve grade in the NRL, but it is incredibly, incredibly competitive. The first race will be March the 10th on the streets of St. Petersburg in Florida. Then it's April 28th at Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama, May 10. And May 11, it's a double header at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They go into the streets of Detroit on June the 2nd. Then June the 9th, it's Road America, one of the great uh, race courses in Wisconsin, Elkhart Lake. Uh, June 22 and 23, it's another double header. This time it's at WeatherTech Raceway in Laguna Seca in Monterey, California. July 7, Mid Ohio. July 10, uh, 13 is round 10. Iowa Speedway, so it's an oval. August 17, uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway in Illinois. Round 12 is Portland in Oregon. August 31st is the penultimate race, and that's the Milwaukee Mile again in oval. And then they wrap up the season, along with Indy Cars, in the same Nashville Street Circuit. Round 14 for Indy next, and that is the Nashville Street Circuit on September the 15th. So he's going to be a very busy young man, and do not... Take your eyes off him because he is a special. That is Callum Hedge. Stay with us here on Boxing Day here on SENZ around New Zealand and SEN on the app in Australia. Coming next, we talk the America's Cup with three-time champion, Glenn Ashby. Sail on down the line by half a mile or so And I don't really want to know where you're going Maybe once or twice you see Time after time I try to, do, to hold on to what we got But now you're going I gave all my money and my time I know it's a shame But I'm giving you back your name Guess I'll be on my way I won't be back to stay I guess I'll move along
And that's what we're doing on Boxing Day. You're sailing all where good times have never felt so good. There's a great line in that song by the Commodores. Man, we are digging deep into the my, my archives, my 70s days archives today, where it talks about a small town boy. Well, the small town boy we're going to talk to today comes from rural Victoria. He just happens to be a three-time America's Cup champion. I've had the, the real privilege of working with him this year on the America's Cup preliminary regattas. Uh, one in uh, Villanova La Geltru in Spain in September, and just recently we both uh, returned from the second preliminary regatta uh, for the America's Cup in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, sailing the AC-40s. And right now, Glenn Ashby should be painting his house in rural Victoria. Wouldn't that be right, mate? Morning, uh, Stephen. Yep. Busy few weeks, to say the least, so... Uh I'll be taking up a, uh, a career in painting, that's for sure. All right. Uh, now, don't want you walking around, Glenn, because your, your connection in the, the middle of uh, Victoria sounds a bit dodgy at the moment, OK? Can you stand still? <laughs> yeah, no, we're all good, mate. We're all good. Hey, um, let's talk about the two regattas that you and I have both been to. Uh, the first one in Villanova had, had no... No wind at all, which wasn't good, but it was further down the coast from where the, the cup is going to be. We know one thing for sure, that Emirates Team New Zealand have sold their design to the French, but were you surprised when they came out and won the first race in that regatta? Yeah, look, they, they did a, a fantastic job, I think, of, um, you know, of sort of getting out of the blocks in, in good shape. So, I, you know, I, I think, you know, they've got a really, really, you know, good, strong sailing team. Um, a lot of depth of talent sort of behind the scenes within the team as well. So, you know, they did a great job getting, you know, getting a, a couple of good runs on the board and I think honestly surprised quite a few people. Historically, the, the French have, have, have a great play in the America's Cup. The fact that Emirates Team New Zealand have, you know, sold their design to the French, does that give them a slight underdog tag going into the big show next year? Yeah, look, I think they've... Um, you know they've done a really nice job in in using that design package. They're, they're, by them, the French taking that design package, they've effectively negated the need to have their own design and engineering team. So they've been able to come to the party later than some of the other teams, which is a, a cost saving. So although that they've had to pay for the design package. Um, for time purposes, that's actually made a big difference for them and probably saved them a little bit of money early on as well. So they will have, you know, hopefully um, a really, really strong package and it will give not only Emirates to New Zealand, but it'll give the other teams an idea of how that package is actually going, you know, when the French actually get that boat on the water and they get to sail against some of the other challenges. So it's... Um, going to be a really interesting uh, next few months as that plays out and as the boats all come out of the sheds, um, you know, probably around sort of April, May, June next year, um, all eyes will be absolutely on the French to see, uh, you know, how they how they line up and how they get going. The, the one team in, through both regattas that has been incredibly disappointing and there must be questions being asked right now is Enios Britannia, the challenges of record, right? They're spending a lot of money and they don't seem to be going far. Now, do we have to be careful when we say that, considering we're only seeing them in the AC40s, or do you sense they might be in trouble? 
Look, I think it's really, really difficult to, to judge how a team is actually going just when they're sailing on the, uh, on the AC40s because behind the scenes, there's a lot of wheels turning. There's a lot of different programs going on with development, um, with foil testing on their, on their LEQ test boats. Um, as we've seen in the past, uh, you know, the, well, Ben Ainsley had actually won the World Series on the uh, on the AC45 catamarans actually uh, not last campaign but the campaign before and you know bombed out during the actual America's Cup so it's really not that clear if you do well in the AC40s how you're actually going for the big game for the big shows so although you know it's it's important to do well in those regattas the ultimate game is actually designing and setting up your AC75 big boat for the actual cup itself so that's where all the teams will be largely focusing their energies uh you know on that for for next year because nobody really cares who wins the world series when all you're really worrying about is the america's cup although it's important for sponsors and and for morale um at the end of the day the america's cup is the game that everyone's focusing on so I don't think I'd read too much into how they're performing on the AC40, to be honest. Glenn, it's hard not to look at the American campaign and the Italian campaign and what they've been doing for a long time now and the amount of time they've been putting their test boats in the water. And and it's very open now, so there are no secrets that we know of anyway. It's hard not to look past those those two teams as one of those being the challenger when it comes to the match, the one that matters. Yeah, absolutely agree, Stephen. I think the um, the American team, I think, is a very, very strong team. Um, not only have they got a, a really, really solid sailing team, I think the depth of experience in their in their design team and their engineering team um, and behind the scenes, a lot of seasoned campaigners there that have all seen the movie before. They know what it takes. Um, Terry Hutchinson is, is very much an experienced campaigner. Um, been trying to win the America's Cup basically all his life and he's doing absolutely everything he possibly can behind the scenes to you know put their team in in great shape to um you know, to have a great chance and I, I think they'll be a very very strong team as we come into uh into the early parts of next year i got asked a question yesterday and, and you know i'm not the smartest bloke running around uh glenn but they said to me, well, what's the – there's that saying if you – you know, when the boats come out, the, the the hulls come out, you've either built a fast boat or a slow boat, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the AC-75s who are foiling monohulls. Does the shape of the hull still play a big part in the way the America's Cup has sailed now? Yes, it, it absolutely does, and I think that's going to be a really, really interesting part of, of this next America's Cup, which it, which it is in, in every America's Cup. You know, it is very much a design race as well as an actual on-water sailing race. It's a, it's a full team package that actually gets put together, and ultimately the, the, the sailing team just are sort of executing the plan for the for the wider team very much the same as in, in motor racing the drivers are, are executing the plan with often hundreds of people behind the scenes um, so really those hulls that do come out not only are they designed you know hydrodynamically to be able to you know get moving forward and then ultimately take off onto the foils but 
the big development in the AC75s, I think, in this iteration versus the last America's Cup, will be largely based around the aerodynamics. And the aerodynamics of the hull, now that they're flying, basically, is extremely important because the hulls actually connect the sails or the rig to the water. And what they're actually doing is it's really connecting that whole package in a, in a 3D perspective. And that's super important for performance, the way the hull actually integrates in with the rig. So it's very much a, um, a whole package deal. Now, not only, you know, you, you're not separating the sail design and the, the rig design from the hull, you've actually got to look at the hull and the rig as one and the modelling that goes into that is extremely important and, and little tweaks on the hull shape make a huge difference of, of how the air actually travels around the rig. So um, aerodynamics these days in America's Cup design is, is probably one of the keys um, you know, for ultimate performance because you're, you're really trying to minimise drag, not only in, in the water, but you're trying to minimise drag in the air as well. And because the boats are literally travelling super fast through through the air, particularly upwind. Um, any reduction in aerodynamic drag um, equates to, to better performance, and that's what all the teams are trying to do. So it's generally it's F one on the water. So here's 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 a question for you: because we are uh, the excuse me the the America's Cup is now uh, two men down, so eight man crews and the cyclos are back. They are lighter, so do you think they will be able to pop out of the water in much lighter air now? Yes, absolutely, Stephen. The the boats themselves um, are still the AC75 class, but that class rule um, has had a few minor tweaks and adjustments that have all been agreed upon by all the teams. Um, you know, over the last, well, basically, you know, in between the two America's Cups, the new AC75s will have slightly larger span lifting foils. So the, the actual span of those horizontal foils that lift the boat out will be slightly larger. And the boats have actually got lighter as well. So they've they've got rid of basically uh, the winches and any of the, the Code Zero sails or the, the bigger front sails, which were part of the early stages of the last campaign. Um, all that's been removed. So the boats have actually reduced weight um, you know, by, by quite a, a few hundred kilograms, um, and that's inclusive of, of getting rid of um, a couple of crew members as well. So the, hydro, the hydraulic systems have actually got slightly more efficient, um, thus the, the reduction of power needed to sail the boats well. And the fact that they are lighter will actually make them take off that little bit easier. So we'll definitely see some some better performance in the, in the lighter conditions uh, over in Barcelona. So the, the one thing that, that sort of surprised, well, doesn't surprise me because it's what the rules are, but all teams are only allowed to build three, not three sets, but just three foils. How critical is getting those three foils right to A, being the challenger for the Louis Vuitton 37th America's Cup? Yeah, no pressure on any of the designers there at all, is there? <laughs> You've really really got to make sure that you choose wisely and that your tools that you've developed um, are, are absolutely on, on, on par because you haven't got a chance to, to really make a mistake there. And to be honest, behind the scenes, I think that one of the huge developments and the huge sort of, um, you know, all the meetings going on behind the scenes really is largely around foil development and, and signing off on your foils. They're very, very complex. They take quite a few months to build, 
um, a lot of machine parts, a lot of composite work. Um, really, at the end of the day, that is you know, the engine, if you like, in the water. Getting that right um, and wrong, in actual fact, will, will absolutely make a huge difference in, in whether you're winning or losing the America's Cup next year. So um, very, very interesting to see what the teams come out with there. And that's certainly something personally um, that I'll be paying very, very close attention to uh, in the coming months as they come out of the shed. I don't want to deep dive on this because that's why I call you the professor because I know you love this, but the, 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 the maintenance of the systems and getting the oil around the systems to get those four cant-ups and the, and the rams on the rig and the whole nine yards, is there an edge there? Can you find an edge there to, do, to you know, basically win, win, a, win a Challenger Series? Absolutely, and I think um, you know the, the the mechatronic side of these boats now is is extremely complicated. Um, it's it's a wonderful area, not only in sailing but sort of worldwide. You know, for for upcoming uh, you know students and people studying, it, it's really a, a, a you know a, we're pulling the lid off um, just the very infancy of what can happen down the track and how efficient those hydraulic systems and electronic systems are really give the, the sailing team the tools to actually sail the boats well around the track. And if you can make a, a slight gain in your high, hydraulic efficiency, um, it means that the, the, the cyclors or the grinders that are providing that, that oil power, if you like, moving the oil around the boat to operate their systems, if they can gain even a small amount of efficiency, that means you've got more gears in the gearbox that you can use around the track, which ultimately turns into performance and speed. So very much, you know, the sailing team will always, you know, use more power than they've got available. And so the more efficient that those systems can be, absolutely there's an advantage there because, um, you know, that advantage of being able to change gears accurately, you know, turns into speed. So it's definitely a package deal. With these being second-generation boats, from your experience, and you, you've done it all before you, how close will this America's Cup be? Look, I, I, a great question, Stephen. I, I think, ultimately, I think all the, all the teams will be closer this time round than they were last time. Although, you know, uh, Emirates Team New Zealand had some fantastic racing with uh, Luna Rossa, Prada Pirelli in the last cup and so some great battles. I think globally all the challenges will be, you know, at a, at a high level. And I think that's something that you know, in any sort of updated generation, you know, everybody sort of comes together. And, and you see that through multiple different disciplines in, in not only sailing, but, but sport in general. And, you know, everyone looks at each other and, and designers and engineers, you know, all, uh, all eventually develop similar tools and they work out what's fast. So I, I definitely think we'll see some closer racing and I think all the challenges will be, uh, you know, at a high standard. You're excited, aren't you? Because I know I am. It's going to be great. Look, it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and the, the whole design aspect of the America's Cup is, uh, is, is one of those great challenges. It's, uh, you know, been over 170 years that, that this uh, Cup has been around for. And, um, you know, there's been fantastic, you know, developments in design and technology right the way through. And you look back 100 years and you go, wow, those boats are old. And in another 100 years' time, we'll be looking back. Well, we probably won't be, but our, our grandkids will be saying, wow, those funny old boats that uh, that Dad used to sail uh, look pretty old now compared to what we're doing these days. So it's all relative, and, um, you know, we're just at a time in space, but um, what a wonderful time it is. You're a good bugger, Glenn Ashby. Uh, happy holiday season. I, I expect you'll be on the water over the holidays? 
yeah, a little bit of uh, on, the, on the water for, for us for sure, but um, yeah, very much at a, at a slow pace, just a, a few knots, all being well, watching the, the bubbles go by. But um, no, Merry Christmas to everybody over there in the uh, in the East Island, um, from us over here in the West Island, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody in the, in the new year. Nice talking, man. Take it easy. Talk soon. Thanks, Stephen. You are locked and loaded to Boxing Day on SENZ around New Zealand. And if you're in Oz, you'll be listening on the SEN app. Uh, happy Boxing Day to you across the ditch. I hope it's been good for you and the weather is cracking. Uh, the year of 2023 has seen so many World Cups. but And in Australia and New Zealand, we were treated to the FIFA Women's World Cup, which put the best countries and female footballs on display. And we certainly were not disappointed. Here on SENZ and SEN, we had every game across the board. You, It was just a, a deluge of football. And 99.9% of the games were crackers. And it was started off perfectly for New Zealand when the football ferns took on Norway at Eden Park. While the football fans wearing the mightiest colour of them all, it's the black with a silver fern. They will kick off running from left to right. Norway wearing white with blue trim to throw. 30 yards from goal. It's taken by Hansen, the left fullback, finding Luckstad. It does brilliantly well to get the ball down. It's not a down shooting chance and on the half volley snatching it a chance and as we said, it's Friedemann. She got underneath it. She hit it well, but hit it very high. Graham Hansen sprinting off, and this is just a pure athlete. What pace! Still going inside the area. Cuts it back to Hegerberg. Diving in stock. What a stop. What a challenge by stop. Brilliant work. Gee, she's been impressive. Number 13 for New Zealand. Ball played in behind. Look at Vanna Wilkinson. 2v1. She's in. Shoot sock. Great challenge. Sliding in on the six-yard box. The right-hand portion of the area. At the half, it's New Zealand and Norway locked up at nil all. They certainly had a player over. New Zealand right wing side. Ball's played into hand. Hand goes fast forward. Great pace. Ball in. And a Wilkinson's there. She scores. New Zealand are on top. Hannah Wilkinson. It had to be Hannah. It, of course, had to be Hannah Wilkinson. She's done it again. Third time she's scored at a World Cup. And New Zealand two and a half minutes into the second half. Scarcely believable stuff. It's New Zealand one, Norway nil. But New Zealand need to defend and defend well here as Marnham gets a shooting chance eight yards from goal and she's dragged it just wide. It's taken a deflection. Hand goes to ground under challenge but got a right toe on to play it out with the right wing side. India Page Riley cuts back it on left foot and nearly bent it top left hand corner. Steinmetz now in the middle of the field. She rolls it to Hassett. Hassett, what a pass through the middle. Hannah Wilkinson's onto it. She's pushed to the right, left edge of the area. She cuts the ball back. Shooting just wide. Was Rhea Percival. And I'm biased, but I don't care. But that's as good a football as we've seen tonight. Norway, lovely into change of passing. Shot hits the crossbar. Oh, that would have been spectacular by the substitute. Risa. Penalty for New Zealand. Didn't see that coming. Yamashita has announced it to the crowd. And New Zealand is up and down the land all over the world rejoice. Few extra seconds of agony. She waits. Right foot approaches the ball. She's hit the post and it's away. Hit the apex of the goal, I'm sure. She went top bins. It was so close to being exactly that. Over the byline.
and it's all over! New Zealand are winners at a FIFA Women's World Cup for the very first time! Would you believe it? They've beaten the 95 World Champions Norway! One goal to nil! It had to be Hannah. One of the great lines, and Hannah Wilkinson, uh, one of the great human beings as well. And I know, Finn, you were working really hard uh, through that whole period. Did you get caught up in the FIFA Women's World Cup? Absolutely, Stephen. I actually loved it. It was so much fun. Like Working at SCNZ with Daniel McCarty mostly doing the commentary here was, was huge. I yeah. never watched so much football in my life, and it was great. It was great for New Zealand as well. What was the biggest revelation for you about the Cup, do you think? Just watching women's football and how different it is to, to men's football, to be honest, is actually a completely different game, and I, I had no idea until I watched it. What were the what were the key differences, do you think? It's a lot slower paced, yeah, a lot yeah. more, I feel like, maybe technical as well, yeah. a lot of longer balls, stuff like that. But just as entertaining? Just as entertaining, 100%. I feel like the, the entertainment factor between men's and women's football is, is basically the same. Yeah, nice work, champion. It was certainly one of those great events that we were fortunate to have here in New Zealand in 2023. We'll wrap up the show shortly here on Boxing Day. You're listening to SENZ around New Zealand, SEN on the app in Australia, and we're just about to wrap up this Boxing Day show for 2023. Stephen McIver and Finn James, I trust you've enjoyed our guests over the past three hours, like uh, Greg Murphy, Adam Collins, the SEN cricket commentator, getting ready for the Boxing Day test, Taylor Earl, the netballer, uh, Silver Fern training partner for the Nations Cup, uh, Mystics two-time chairman, Kurt Cable for the Warriors, uh, Glenn Ashby from the America's Cup and Callum Hedge, Young motor racing driver. New Year's not too far away, actually. Finn, what are you doing for New Year's, man? Staying in Auckland, actually. Yeah. Just going to probably head into town, maybe stay at the Viaduct. town. Maybe stay at the Viaduct with a few friends, you know, have a few drinks. Nothing, just nothing just crazy. a few drinks, right? Just a few. Just because I think you're as busy as I am on the radio, aren't you, yeah. uh, over the summer? But yeah, yeah, so <laughs> can't go too crazy. <laughs> uh, just quickly, your highlight from the year. Your one highlight that went wowsers. Oh, there's so many to choose from. Oh, no, don't play there that is, card. There is so many I, I to choose from. I said one that sticks in your mind. Oh, like sporting moment? Yeah. I don't, oh. want, I don't, know, I don't want anything personal. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Breakers, yeah, Breakers making the first NBL final in, I think, six years or seven years or whatever it was. That was probably my biggest highlight for Spoke, sure. Spoken like a true member of Breaker Nation. Breaker Nation, baby. All right, man. Happy New Year. And we will uh, talk again in the new year. That's us done for Boxing Day. Uh, this particular show here on SENZ. Don't forget you can uh, catch the Boxing Day test between Australia and Pakistan on our app. Have a great day and please be safe on the road.